Would you please open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, which we had as our scripture lesson today. Remember, it's been talking about the meeting between Melchizedek and Abraham, right? And I want to point out something to you. <laughs> Look at verse 9. So, so the apostle's been talking about Melchizedek and Abraham, right? And in verse 9 he says, And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. Who is Levi? Levi is a son of whom? Okay. Levi, well, all right, but Levi is two generations removed, give or take, from Abraham, right? And so what it's saying here is that, um, what verse was I on? Nine. It's saying that through Abraham, Levi, so Levi is not alive at the time of Abraham, but through Abraham, Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes. So in Levi, he received and he paid tithes, right? Now, how did he do that? Well, he did it through his great-grandfather, or whatever you want to say. Because what it says in verse 10 is, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Did you track that? Now listen, many of you, I fear, do not respect and honor the word of God. And you look at the Bible much as you look at an update on Facebook. If it's interesting and if it seems to have application to you, you're willing to give it some weight. But what I want you to understand is every single word of this book is inspired by God. And so the places in this book that strike you as odd, you should breathe a sigh of relief and say, yes, something that does not flatter me the way Facebook does. Something that doesn't pander to my stupidity the way my professors do. Something that is other. Because that's what postmodern narcissists should desire more than anything else is Something, anything that's other. And here you have something, are you with me? It's other? In the loins? What is that about? And if we're reading scripture and you read that, you should go, whoa. But I fear that you just go, because it's not pious to yawn while scripture is being read, so you have to stifle the yawn. Yeah, see, you just did it. But that's because yawning is, is catchy, you know. Did you know that? Yawning is very, yeah. Okay, ready? See, John, there you go. Yep. Now, what possible benefit is it for you to know that Levi was in the loins of his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather? Well, what you learn from this is that God deals with nations through their king. He deals with churches through their elders. He deals with families through their father. He deals with marriages through the husband. And he deals with the race of man through Adam. <laughs> Levi's the loins of his father. Now, you say, well, what possible benefit does that have, right? I mean, okay, so what? Right? I mean, is, come on, be honest. Isn't that what you're all thinking? Okay, so what? If I hypothetically, yeah, go ahead, say it. So what? So what? All right, now let's come to the text that uh, we're actually going to study today, which is Acts 16, verses 25 to 34. You know how when you're filling out the 1040 form and it says moved to form such and such line such and such, right? Is there anybody here that still does their taxes by hand the way I do? 
Good, thank you. You know how it says that, right? Well, you have to have the same mentality when you approach Scripture. You have to understand that Scripture is making reference to other places that you have to put together with this place in order to understand it. I'm always struck with how you protest your ignorance about Scripture and just ask me to, ah, go on, put it in. I know it's good for me, you know. And yet when it comes to the tax forms, you're so sophisticated. Or stats for your favorite sports team. Listen, the Bible is intended by God for you to study. It's the most sophisticated book that's ever been written because the Holy Spirit's its author. Now let's read from Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. And we'll see the connection between this passage in Hebrews and the rest of Scripture. But I'm going to go a little bit before, thank you. Now, Go back to what I, yeah, yeah, 16. Okay, so we're setting up the story. Um, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, this is in the, the, the ancient city of Philippi, and this is a place where Lydia was godly and down at the river praying. And so they went and hung with her and explained the gospel. She became a Christian. We pick up the story in Philippi. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. So it was real new agey. People claimed to have mystical messages from God and to be able to foretell the future and everybody was into yoga and everybody thought that this was just a spirituality that the Jews didn't know about and they were all cosmic and accepted any, 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 any path of truth that came, mystical, objective, empirical, you know, they were just very, very open-minded and their minds hadn't closed on anything. And so here's this woman making a ton of money for her owners, right? Falling after Paul and us, and the us is who? Very good. Luke. Immediately she says Luke, yeah. So Luke is showing himself here. It's very rare for him to do that. Showing, falling after Paul and us, <coughs> she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. A pretty good message, right? She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. <laughs> Imagine you're, every time you walk by Chancellor Wells on the park bench, right? Somebody's following you. You know, this man, <laughs> you know, and the whole campus, what's going on over there? And what she's saying, and it's a fortune teller saying it, right? A woman who's a slave and earns a lot of money by fortune telling, what she's saying is what? These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You're up and down campus, up and down Kirkwood, everywhere you go, you know, you go into Kroger, this man, <laughs> you know, and Paul, oh, man. Okay, and it says what? It says, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, not to her, but to the spirit, but he would have been facing her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, Listen, you remember that song, money, 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 money. All right, I'll do it. You, money, 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 money. Okay. The Bible does not say the love of money is the root of all evil for nothing. If journalists, their first rule is follow the money, Christians should not be less suspicious. If you know pastors who are unfaithful in their calling, always think money. Follow the money. And so watch what goes on here. All right? 
When her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace after the, before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, what? These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are, it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Americans being Romans. And so their principles are very high and, and, and their principles are for the good welfare of the population. They're disinterested in their commitment to the civitas, to the city, to, to Rome, the empire. You know what the old saying is? The old saying is that patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. I drive back and forth on 45, and I see that big, tall flagpole with an American flag on it. And you know what I think? I thought it this week when I see that flagpole. I think, you know, I'm going to put a flagpole up in the front of my house, and I'm going to fly on it anything but the American flag. And you say, well, that's impious. And I say, it's what? It's impious? No, 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 no. It's Christian. Do you know that the most common fight for maybe a century or so in America that caused pastors to be ejected from churches was fighting over where the American flag and where the Christian flag would be? Whether the American flag would be on your right or your left. There was never any question whether the American flag should be in the church. It should be in the church. But which side should it be on? And of course, almost always, the congregation said that the flag should take precedence, the American over the Christian, and the pastor said it should be the Christian over the American. What's, what's hilarious about it is that uh, almost always, both sides had no idea which had precedence because they hadn't bothered looking at military uh, uh, ceremonial regulations. <laughs> okay, so now here's the truth. The truth is that if the flag is on the level of the speaker, the one to his right has precedence. If the flag is on the congregational level, the flag to the right has precedence. All right, that's the actual rule. So, where should the American flag be if we're going to have it on the floor? It should be on the left. But of course, I don't think we should have an American flag. I don't think you should have a Japanese, a Korean flag. I don't think you should have a British flag. I don't think you should ever have a national flag in the Church of Jesus Christ. Never. And it's not because I don't love America. I have been overseas, and therefore... I love America. You would not believe after traveling in Africa how just the gushes that came over me when I actually came to our customs <laughs> and wasn't being asked for a bribe and wasn't having, what were the names of those monkeys? Huh? Vervet. The ones that were at the custom at the border there. Oh man, those things were hideous and scary. Running all over our heads as we went in. You remember this? Down there by Victoria Falls. <laughs> there aren't monkeys jumping on you and beating you to death in America when you come in. So I have nothing against the United States of America except that we kill 1.3 million of our unborn every year. We kill our old people. We starve our newborns who are defective to death here in this city. I have that against the United States of America. And I'm not even talking about our foreign policy. If I started talking about that, some of you would hate me. Listen, we are not Americans. We are Christians. And the minute you see people trotting out patriotic arguments, do you know in my church in Wisconsin, there was a pastor with the last name Bailey, and it wasn't me, who got booted from that church at the time of the Second World War right after it because of this argument over flags. That's how common it is in, in America. And so here we have the Apostle Paul 
preaching the gospel in Philippi, in the Roman Empire. And what happens? He shuts up a demon. And apparently, the entire Roman Empire is at stake. (laughs) You know? And so what? He's thrown in prison. Look what happens. When they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which it's not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. Yes, Romans cannot believe in the God who made them. It's against Roman Empire policy. Listen, make no mistake about it. It is against American policy for you to believe in the God who made us. Don't ever think the United States and secularism that reigns in our public school system, in our universities, don't ever think that there can be any peace between that and Jesus Christ. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make American citizens. No. Verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them. Remember, patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. What had they done? All they had done was speak the name of the Son of God, who gave himself for the forgiveness of their sins. That's all they did. But immediately it cut across what? It cut across the patriotism of the Roman Empire. And if you speak up for Jesus on the campus of this university, trust me, (laughs) you will have some affinity. Do you know that word? Some affinity with the Apostle Paul. And then you too can rejoice you have been counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus which is what it says in Acts. All right. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So that's the setup. Next morning, they may very well die. They're particularly of concern to the civil magistrate. But about midnight... Remember that psalm by Clapton? After midnight. Remember that? Any of you remember that song? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? I won't continue. But isn't this generally what happens in Bloomington about midnight? We're going to let it, right? Have you ever been down on Kirkwood at midnight? Well, you should go. What do they do on Kirkwood? Frat Row. What do they do? And? And? How? How? That's a bus driver speaking. (laughs) How? They sing! What do drunks do? How many of you heard the singing? Oh, come on. They sing. Have you ever heard people singing in bars? Oh, get up at midnight and go past them. You'll hear it. I've heard it recently. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. You know, we're post-enlightenment, post-modern. And so we have evolved to the point that we're just walking brains, what I like to call disembodied brains. And so we haven't heard singing and we don't sing. And we don't lift our hands and we don't kneel and Like Stephen was saying in Sunday school, and if you missed it, you did miss it. It was fantastic. It's the six inches in between here. That's the only life we have. And we think it's a principle. And here they were. They'd been beaten with 
did you notice many strokes with rods, all right, they're in the deepest recesses of the prison, all right, it's quite likely they'll lose their lives in the morning. The prisoners, the, the guardian has been told to guard them carefully, all right, and it's midnight and they're praying and they're singing. And the significance of praying and singing is they're praying because their lives are on the line and they're about to die, likely. And the singing is significant because the joy of the Lord is our strength. You with me? When we have someone dying and we go into the room, you know what we do, don't you? The valley of the shadow of death, we sing. And what joy there is at a deathbed when we sing. And so they were in there confessing their faith. There couldn't be a more clear confession to the jailer and to every prisoner in there and maybe to the neighbors that were close by. They were praying, they were singing. They confessed their faith. Okay? Now, you think about yourself in that prison, and there's something in this story for every single one of you. Children, especially. I'll get to you in a little bit. All right? But if you've been in that prison, would you have sung? No, you wouldn't. I wouldn't have sung. Why not? Well, you wouldn't want to disturb the other prisoners. You would not want to parade your piety. You would have wanted to be self-effacing and humble and meek and, and, and not go against the conventions of tolerance and plurality. You would not want to force your religion on the people that were trying to sleep in their misery and agony at midnight. You, you would do your best to minimize the hostility that has already been created against you. I mean, if you already are in prison because of the hostility against you on the populace, why would you go into prison and make more people angry at you by singing praises to the only true God? You know, we just take this for granted. And the thing that shocks us is that they had any joy in them to sing at that moment. But what you have to realize is there's something even more shocking. It's not about you and what you have in you, actually. I know Facebook tells you that's all there is in life. It's actually about them and him. And so then you have the ability to forget yourself and to sing and pray. Because you're not all bollocked up in yourself. <laughs> Do you remember what I keep telling you? There's a reason why the, 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 the supreme experience you can have in the English language is something called ecstasy. And it's because it comes from two Greek words that are ek and stasis. And ek is, the, is, is, is a preposition out, and stasis is to stand. And so the supreme expression of God's blessing on a human being is finally to be able to stand out of himself. And it's impossible to communicate that to you people because of Facebook. I keep warning you. Do not give yourself to the flattery and the pandering and, the, and all of the corruption of your character, of the trivialities of our culture. Give God time and space to work with you. For many of you, the best thing that could happen to you would be to be put in the deepest recesses of prison where no cell phone could come, no broadband, you know, no iPad, no, no smartphone, not even a regular phone. And you've just been beaten and it stinks to high heaven. And it's cold and the irons are not, you know, everything's so soft. What do the cops do now? They use like soft nylon kind of tie-up things. You don't even get metal on your handcuffs now. Oh, you still do get metal? Okay, good. But you don't, I mean, not on your, you get metal on your ankles too. Ah. It looks pretty soft to me when I see them going in and out of courtrooms. 
They even cover them over with sweaters and, you know, people don't even know why they have their hands in front of them. You know? Listen, it was awful. And what happened? It was awful. What happened was they confessed their faith, they prayed. And then watch what happened. Suddenly, verse 26. Oh, the prisoners were listening. Can't you just imagine the prisoners listening? (laughs) And suddenly, there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, every word of scripture is inspired. And so what difference does it make when the Bible tells you that there was an earthquake and it shook the foundations? Well, you should say to yourself, well, yeah, that was because God had to do that in order for the chains to fall off, right? Oh, come on. No. (laughs) No, 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 no. What earthquake has ever removed all of the bindings of every prisoner in a prison? I mean, God was speaking. God left no question in the minds of everyone there that he was God. That it is he that made us and not we ourselves. God could not allow there to be any thought of some magician Houdini going through with a little pick. You know, earthquake hit, foundation shook, all the chains come off. Right? God has spoken. And remember what they were doing. They were like, they were listening. And then this is what happens, right? Okay. When the jailer awoke, you can bet your boots he woke, and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Well, look with me at Acts chapter 12, please. Verse 19. Earlier, another apostle was in prison, Peter. And God busted him out of prison, and here's what happened to his jailers. Now, when day came, he's been busted out by God that night. When day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. All right, you understand this now, right? You military men? Actually, not you, you. (laughs) You. He's failed, guys. The jailer has failed. And you remember, he was specifically instructed to give careful attention to these prisoners. All right. And so here's what we read. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now, again, put yourself in there. You've admitted with me that you would not have been praying and singing, right? For a whole host of reasons, you would not have been praying and singing. Admit with me also that you would not have stopped this jailer from killing himself. Because why? Well, because he's the one that's to guard you and because you could well be executed the next day. And so what are you going to do? If you see him about to fall on his sword, and he's hated Roman Empire, what do you do? You let him kill himself. And then you say to all the guys, come on, let's get out of here. Why? Well, because for myself, I'll tell you, it's about me. It's not about them. And it's certainly not about the jailer. 
And so what we see is the Apostle Paul doesn't just say, hey, stop. He yells. He shouts. He sees the man, his captor, about to kill himself, and he shouts, don't. We're all here. And listen, there are some times where because of faith, you must shout. I don't think he was shouting just simply to scare the man out of pausing, although I think that was the major reason. I think also he was shouting because he knew if he didn't shout, he might just shut up. You know how that's true? You know how sometimes you just have to shout it. Because if you don't shout it, you'll be silent. And so he shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And he called for lights, the jailer, rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Remember, I said to you, the loins, all right? Remember I said, every word is inspired. Now, it says he fell down and that he was trembling. What does that tell you? What that tells you is that this man had been brought, thank God, to the end of his pride. To the end of his security knowing that he was an American Marine. He was the best of the best. He had nothing to fear. And what is so, so sweet about this story is that God used an earthquake, the foundation shaken, the chains coming off, knowledge of what was about to happen to him by his superior officer. And God made him quake and tremble. He turned into jello. And he got down on his knees. And then he said this, sirs. What must I do to be saved? I've preached this a number of times. I love this story. And the reason I love it is this very point in the story. Where you have a man who represents the awesome authority and power of the Roman Empire. A military man. And when God humbles him and shows himself to him, this man who exercises authority submits to authority. And he sees that these men know God. And he trembling falls on his knees in front of them. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he's not asking how to be safe from his superior officer (laughs) because all the captives are there. So don't try that rabbit trail. What he's asking is, this is a confession of sin. He has looked across the great divide into the kingdom to come, into eternal life. He's realized that he is not prepared to stand before a holy God. He has absolutely no idea how to face death by faith. And so he falls on his face in front of these men who were facing death with faith singing and praying, and he says, what must I do to be saved? You see, the Apostle Paul had faith. The Apostle Paul knew he was, it was not about him. The Apostle Paul confessed his faith to all the prisoners, to the, to the jailer, to everybody. He improved every moment of his life he had. He didn't take his hat off when he left church. He didn't, he didn't think somebody else would help that man. But in jail, he confessed his faith. And so when the time came that, that a Marine, an American Marine, was humble, he knew where to go. Because somebody flew the flag of Jesus Christ. And so everything was ready. He says, what must I do to be saved? All right. And they said, every week on Lord's Day, and he said, Lord's Day, what's that? And they said, well, that's what we we call Sunday. 
Oh, you mean Sunday. Well, yeah, Lord's Day. Every week on Lord's Day, we have a wonderful, wonderful uh, preacher who is actually pretty intelligent. I know you Romans like intelligence. And he's also a man's man, because after all, you're, you're a military man. And he will be discoursing in our worship services, you know, do you know what worship is? It's over by Cars Farm Park. And if you come next Lord's Day, you remember, I mean Sunday, but we call it Lord's Day. Next Lord's Day to our worship service and hear the disquisition, it might improve your spiritual condition. You might find a spirituality in you you didn't know you had. Listen, they didn't say that, and they also didn't say, how about if we get some sleep and then in the morning we'll talk, which is what I would have said. I'm in the bathtub. I don't want to get out, right? But that's not what they said. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and they took him that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized he and all his household (laughs) listen this is really really interesting number one you get my point they're inconvenienced willy nilly all through the account starting with the fact that they're beaten by rods with many strokes thrown into the jail then into the inner recesses then particularly then instead of escaping they get to save the jailer when they were the ones needing saving and then he comes in front of them throws himself down and they're thinking oh dude if we tell him the gospel and he becomes a Christian then he'll just be in jail with us how about we improve the time didn't he Jesus just save us from jail you know what I'm out of here You know, at every point, they're maximizing the potential for their inconveniencing to the point of death. And so what they do is they give them him the four spiritual laws. You see that here. It says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then immediately they were all baptized and they became Christians and God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Listen, people. If there's ever a text that's made to confirm the slothful, lazy, unfaithful evangelicalism of the past 50 years, this is the text. Because look, he told him about Jesus. He, and residual in there is always, it's silent, but it's always in there. He just told him about Jesus, <laughs> you know? But you don't say just. He told him about Jesus. Right? I mean, look at it. It says it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Boop, 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 boop. The buses will wait. Come forward. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Doesn't the Bible say, I've determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified? And look, it's what it says. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Sirs, what must I be to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Listen, it is hard work to preach the gospel. I don't speak past my time allotment because I'm ill-prepared and because it's so easy. I do it because I watch your eyes and I realize, hey, I better wait and go back over that a couple of times because there's a little frown of confusion. And then I see your wife with a quizzical look. Oh, okay, she's wondering. And then I see hardness of heart and I say, okay, I'm going to hit Facebook again. (laughs) And then I remember that you're an alcoholic. And so I say, oh yeah, yeah, he has no hope. She has no hope that there's ever going to be a point in her time where she does not under slavery and addiction. And then, you understand this? 
do you really think that they said, well, believe in Jesus and you'll be saved? He said, I believe in Jesus. And they baptized him and then they just had a party. Is that what happened? See, you're not reading the Bible. Read it. Now go back to the text and it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Do not think that it pleases God for us to reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to the simple statement, believe in Jesus, with no proclaiming of the law of God so that a man can see that there is no hope for him, with no proclaiming the holiness of God so he can see that God must remove from his presence every single human being that's ever lived. And think you can just jump over the bad news to the good news and somebody has a context for it? Don't think that in America today, when you say to somebody, believe in Jesus, that they have any comprehension of what you're saying. You have to unpack it. You have to communicate something other than trivialities that easily go down without tears. If you don't have somebody trembling on his knees in front of you, how dare you think that he's saved? Do you think that it is possible for us today to have true work of the Holy Spirit without any bodily anything? Do you think that worship is sincere, which goes on in the six inches here, with no lifting of hands, no extemporaneous amens, no tears, no joy, no yelling? Are we the one point in history where there is a negative correlation between bodily action and Holy Spirit action? And so today we happen to be at a time when somebody can simply read the four spiritual laws, pray the sinner's prayer, never cry, never fear, and they're saved. And then we write home to the people that support us and say, we had another conversion last week. Remember what I said, follow the money. Money, 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 money. Money. And so what wonderful conversions. <laughs> where you can write home and, and you don't have to sit with them while they cry at midnight. Listen, it is impossible for souls to come to Jesus Christ who do not say, what must I do to be saved? If your gospel and what you mean by believe in Jesus Christ is simply that God loves you and has a wonderful man for your plan, wonderful wife for your life. In other words, things go better with Coke. Uh, some of you don't know that. That used to be a pop, a soda pop. <laughs> You're thinking Eric Clapton, I know. Listen, Jesus Christ died. The Lamb of God, so that we may believe in him. And if he died, there must have been a necessity for him to die. And if there was a necessity for the perfect son of God to die, how dare we not speak to men of their sin and of the hopelessness of their condition before a holy God? How dare we try to avoid tears and repentance? How dare we say to anybody that, well, I'm not sure. Well, the Bible said it and that settles it. And what does the Bible always say about false shepherds? It says they heal the wounds of my people superficially. They say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. And you show me where in evangelical parachurch ministries, there is ever a warning against false pastors and prophets who say, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Can you imagine a parachurch ministry having a weekend retreat on the theme of peace, peace, where there is no peace? I mean... You laugh. Why do you laugh? Well, because it's absurd. It's absolutely impossible. So if you're going to use this as an example of how simple the gospel is, I say to you, read on and see that they proclaim the word of God to them. And then they baptize them right there. And you know what? 
Like almost every baptism in the New Testament, it wasn't an individual baptism because individually the, the jailer became an individual Christian. Remember I talked to you about the loins of Abraham and representation? No, no, no. His household was brought into here because by, well, I can't swear, but by something. A Roman potter familia was not going to get on his knees and tremble without his whole family being there with him and being on their knees and trembling. He was the father. <laughs> and you think, oh, he's, he's arguing for infant baptism. No, I despise lowering it to that level. It was his household. You know, and some of you say to me, and I've had people in my churches say to me, you know, I'm, I'm a, I, my children don't come to church with me because I, I'd like them to make their own decision. And I say, for heaven's sakes, what did God place you in the dignified position of a father for if it wasn't to lead your children to the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> and so what? Hey, kids, get up! Of course, they were already up because there was an earthquake. <laughs> and they had their ears at the door already, you know? He said, come on in! So they all came in. And the Apostle Paul spoke in such a way that the father and the wife and the servants and the children all understood what he was saying. See, it wasn't infant baptism. All right? And they heard the gospel of God's release of their sins. <laughs> And they saw their father confessing his sins, and so they could confess their sins. And so what? It says they all believed. And then what does it tell us? They all were baptized. You know, one of the things that pains me in this church is how many children in our church have not been baptized. <laughs> how could you not have your children baptized? They're sitting here. They love Jesus because their father loves Jesus and their mother loves Jesus. And so why would we not baptize them? And so I go around with a communion cup and, the, and sometimes they're helping up there and they're helping there and they're over here when we used to go. And I look at them and I say, why are you not eating with me? It makes me sad. And they say, blah, 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 blah. You know, they haven't the foggiest clue what I'm talking about, but it's made them sad too. <laughs> and so I say, would you talk to the elders? I don't tell them to talk to their dad. Because their dad's the problem. <laughs> Listen, it is not God's... Um, uh, how do I say this? It's not accidental. The Holy Spirit didn't forget himself for a time when he recorded that they heard and that they were baptized, the household. It's telling us that we are to think as Christians in solidarity with our fathers. Do you understand this? How, if you, it, how could you not understand it if you look at the Wagners? How could you not understand this if you look at the Bakers? Do you think any of those boys would have a place in Stephen's household? Do you think Linda would have a place in Stephen's household if she did not serve the true God? Now, the truth is, Linda would, because it says, honor your father and mother. <laughs> and so we do that. But his sons, no, 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 no. A son that doesn't serve my God is no longer my son. Now, are any of you having trouble understanding this? Do you think that this is because I'm a male chauvinist pig? Okay, fine. Remember I, I mentioned Lydia? Remember she was down at the river in Philippi. That's how the revival started in Philippi. That's how people became Christians. If you look at Lydia, you'll see that having no man in the household, because otherwise we would have heard of his name, her household believed. And so don't think this is male, although usually it is male. But the principle is solidarity, which is absolutely antithetical to everything we hold as patriotic Americans. 
You can't be a patriotic American with all the ideology that goes with it and be a Christian. You have to think in solidarity. You have to be Asian. <laughs> Excuse me, but it's true, right? Will you confirm this for me, Jason, please? Right? Asians understand solidarity. They understand unity with parents and grandparents and great-grandparents back and back and back. They understand the nation standing together. I'm almost done. Okay. He took him that very hour of the night, verse 33, and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. But it doesn't say household. That word is in italics, and that's because it's not there in the original. What it says is really obnoxious. It says he and all his. <laughs> all those who belong to him. All right? And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Listen, two things here. First of all, the, 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 the sort of, um, well, two things. First, Sometimes you'll hear older women in this church and elders and deacons and pastors speaking about whether or not somebody has love for the body here. They'll say, did you notice they were missing last Sunday? They'll say, did you notice that they were at their son's soccer game? They'll say, did you notice the hardness of their face? They'll say, he didn't greet me as he left. I will say to my wife, she avoided me as she left church. And you know, some of you, most of you probably think that that's just like egotistical. You know, you think, it's not about you. Didn't you just get done telling us it's not about you? And I say, you know something, it's very interesting, but God is pleased to make faith and repentance evident in an individual because that individual honors the shepherd that he has used to open the gospel. It is impossible for you to come to Jesus Christ unless someone preach. And therefore, the feet of those who bring the gospel to you, who preach, are what? Beautiful. Now, my feet aren't beautiful. I have club toe. Right? My feet are beautiful. I watch you in your response to me, and that tells me your faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I once had an intellectual in this community, another church, say to me, uh, after I'd been here about two weeks in Bloomington, he said to me, you know, he said, the way you preach, it seems as if you think that, that, that God's speaking through you. And I said, actually, what I believe is that the preaching of God's word is the word of God. And he, I was carefully calculating it to make him go ballistic. Because he was one of these proud intellectuals who will not honor any man. This almost redundant to talk about an intellectual who won't honor any man. Well, unless himself. <laughs> and do you know that I was simply quoting Calvin in what I said? Calvin says that the preaching of God's word is the word of God. And so you look at the relationship between the Philippian jailer and this, this preaching. Do you know that Calvin says that, they, that he was humbled by God so that he would not disdain to become a scholar to the preacher? And I think about you people and what you're giving your lives to. I think about the obeisance that you give to intellectuals. I think about their prerogatives that they take when they parade in commencement exercises. I think about the hoods, the colors, the robes. I think about the chairmanships and the vice chairmanships. I think about the doctoral examinations, orals, and prelims. I think about the recitals. And I think this town is an orgy of honor 
and scholarship for the sake of this life. And the very same people despise those who would teach them the words of eternal life. Listen, when this man was ready to do business with God, he didn't go straight to God. He went to a flesh and bone sinner like him. And he fell on his knees in front of him. And God was pleased to save his soul. And then what did he do? Well, he did what people of faith do. He fed the man. He washed his wounds. He brought them into his home, the keys of the kingdom. He was the top honorable one in that home. Not even the jailer had the honor of the Apostle Paul. Do you understand this? And do you remember where it says in Galatians that those who are taught should share all good things with those who teach them? You cannot honor God and despise his preachers, his prophets, his older women. It's impossible. We see it going on. Sometimes we've watched it for 15 years. We've watched despising of, of, of the servants of God in this church by individuals who still maintain their ability to come to worship and to sing and to smile and to come to potlucks and show up at annual meetings. And it just goes on and on and on. But sooner or later, you know what's going to happen. Because there is not honor to whom God has placed honor on. And I'm sorry, but that's me. And if you think it's a pain for you to have me honored among you, imagine what it's like for my wife. That's how God does things. God is pleased to humble you by having you submit to me. And I'm saying me not because I feel a lack of honor in this church. I have unbelievable honor in this church. I don't feel a lack of it. I'm saying it to you so that you will honor your father in your home. So you honor your husband in your marriage. So you honor the older women when they come to you. So that you honor the deacons and honor the elders and honor the policemen. Because God is pleased to delegate authority. And you can't come to the Father from whom all fatherhood gets its name and despise all fatherhoods on earth and be a leveler and intellectual. You can't do it. We come to God humbly. We come to him humbly. And if you think you can come to God humbly and despise me, you can't. Well, maybe I should say you better find another church. <laughs> How on earth are you going to eat the words of eternal life as I preach them if you despise me? And don't worry, I have children, I have 12 grandchildren, I don't need you. My grandchildren are stupid enough and, and young enough to adore me. Listen, I, I don't care about myself, but I want you to honor, I want you to honor, I want you to honor those that God has given the words of eternal life to feed you. I want you at Stephen's Sunday school class. How could you sit in the foyer and talk? You know why you do it, because I've done it many times. Come to Stephen's class. It was so helpful. I wish I knew what he taught today when I was in seminary. How could you despise David Carell? If David Carell is willing to give you time, you should be that little bird, that robin in our lemon tree. Ha! Ah. Have your mouth open and feed from David Carell. I mean, am I right, Alex? I mean, David Carell. If he wants to feed you, say, ah, that's what I do. That's what I do. Now, one last thing. What is the result of the gospel, the real gospel, the full gospel coming to this man's house? It's a party. It's so joyful. And listen, if you have spiritual ears and spiritual eyes and you come in this church, you see the joy. We have it. We do have joy. And it just oozes out of us. Yeah, huh? And it's not because we're superior. It's because we're so inferior that we had no hope except Jesus. And then once he washed us, 
It's a party. It's a party. And it's always the way that God comes to a household. That household has its sins washed away. Awful, awful, awful sins. <laughs> and see, I'm looking at you, and I know your sins, you know, because you've confessed them to me. And I'm just, you know, I, at this point, I should be going like this uh, so that nobody knows I'm, you know, so nobody's embarrassed by my knowledge of you. <laughs> but listen, it's so sweet. I know you, and I've seen your joy because Jesus has washed you. And so the very last thing I say is, if you have a deep bondage to homosexual practice, if you're cooking meth, or, and I, tr I tremble to even say this, it's so awful, if you're an academic, I'm absolutely serious. There's hope for you. You too can be humble. You too can confess your sins and be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you don't have to keep track of your pride. You don't have to flatter people on Facebook. You can tell them the truth. And speaking the truth is just so liberating. And you know, the church is so doggone inclusive. <laughs> I mean, think, crystal meth and academics. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard an academic want to be inclusive with a crystal meth addict. Their inclusivity never goes that far. It never goes across 37 to the west side. Okay, all right, I'm done. Oh, man, I do love you. Sorry. I love you. I love you. I love you. And if you think that's weird, you read the epistles and read how the apostles speak to their people. I love you. So come to Jesus. Right now, come to him with the elders. Come. Come to him at the table. Jesus again, was not accidental in appointing sacraments. And sacraments are things that are physical, that you can see, touch, and taste, which confirm to us spiritual blessings, grace from him. Okay? And so he told us, and in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, we read where he said this to the Apostle Paul. He said this, and the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. And in the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you drink of it. And so his body and his blood are our life. They're what turned aside the Father's wrath from us because of our sin. And so as he died on the cross, his body and his blood became our life. And so... Whatever time we eat and drink, we do show his death until the Lord comes. And he's pleased to meet us at this table. Those of us who have been good enough this last week to merit, but I'm, I'm being facetious for a point, and that is to encourage those of you who are timid and fearful and think you don't have the faith you should to come to the table. He meets us here and he gives us faith. He gives us healing. He cleans our sins up. He rids us of, of, of bitterness and gives us forgiving spirits. He rids us of pride. He takes away our PhDs. He takes away the ignominy of a father who has betrayed the family. Are you with me? The generational failures. 
all of that is gone. And the floor is absolutely level in front of the table of Jesus Christ. And he is at the head, I am not. And all of us equally eat and drink. And through it, we're given faith, we're given healing, we're given forgiveness. We're given everything we need to please him, okay? Now, this is for Christians. This isn't for pagans. And so if you don't believe, don't come to the table. This is a meal proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, of the only true God, all right? If you're a Christian and you haven't been baptized, don't come because the first step in the Christian faith is to be baptized. If you're a Christian and baptized, but you're not under the authority of any particular elders, you're just an airy spirit out there, and you're a rebel, don't come until you, well, here's some good elders. <laughs> I wasn't saying you are good. I was saying you're good elders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So these men can talk to you, and you can say to them, I will submit to you, and then you can come to the Lord's table. But I don't care what church you're under the authority of the elders of, I don't care whether they call them elders or deacons or bishops. You're welcome to this table. This is not this church's table. This is Jesus Christ's table. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise that your son Jesus Christ was obedient to death, even death on the cross. And we confess that therefore he is highly exalted and has been given a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, meet us at this table. Would you please send your spirit to strengthen the weak, to give faith to the doubting, to give forgiveness to the bitter, to give purity to the lustful, to give charity to the greedy. Father, give us whatever we need that through this body and blood broken and shed for us, we might go from this place cleansed through your grace. O Lamb of God that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come, would you please?